0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Nicole. Good morning, church. Sweet. Are those donuts back there? Yeah? Is that. Is that you, Liviu? Did I see you? Bring those in? Sweet. Awesome. That's an awesome thing to be guilty of. Uh, make sure everybody grab one so that I don't have access to one. So, um, yeah, what an amazing line in that song. If grace is an ocean, uh, we'd be drowning. <laughs> right? that, um, that's so amazing. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about glory. We're going to be talking about glory, and it's not, it's not too uncommon when we're talking about glory to think about sports. Um, it pops into my head immediately, and I think a lot of us, we think about sports. Even Paul uh, uses this analogy of sports all the time, when he talks about the Christian life is like running this race, and you want to run it awesomely, and you don't just want to run it, but you want to run it to win, like you're doing this for this prize, which is, which is Christ, and he says this as an encouragement, right? to to run this race. There's also glory when your favorite sports team uh, wins a championship. Maybe a team you were on won the championship. That's never happened for me, but uh, close. Um, But yeah, it's exciting. And you get to have a ribbon or a trophy and there's glory in that. And then of course, in the Christian life, when we finish that race, we get to fall into the glorious arms of Jesus, right? There's so much glory in that, But hey, uh, we're not there yet. So, um, I don't know about you, but we exist in a world, in a reality, in our lives that uh, we're not finishing much of anything. Certainly not a race, right? Or something insanely incredible, you know? I mean, we do some incredible things and we have some incredible accomplishments, but they are few and far between. We wouldn't describe our daily existence as being... Glorious, right? We live from, from glory to glory in some respect. And so this got me thinking, you know, as, as a lifelong uh, hockey fan, um, I've got to see my favorite team, you know, win a championship and achieve glory, and, and, and it was great. But when I think about, like, the average hockey player and, and what, what the glory is in a hockey player, it's not always about winning a championship. I think of things like sacrifice, right, and pain and toughness. And so, um, when I think about these things, I think of Ian LaPerriere. Ian Perrier. you guys have never heard of him, right? And so, um, as you can see, uh, his nose and his face face two different directions. That is, that is permanent. That is not a broken nose. That is the way his face now looks, um, he is one of my, my wife and mine uh, favorite hockey players. And we have a son named Ian. So, you know, we, we really like Ian LaPerriere. But by some standards, some would, some would look at his face and say, oh man, you know, I want to be nice here, but also it's kind of ugly. Looks kind of ugly. And yet in that ugliness is his glory, right? And so I remember back in 2010 in, in the NHL playoffs, um, the, the opposing team, their defenseman, lined up for a slap shot. I mean, just had time, space, brought his stick back. He's going to hit this puck 110 miles an hour. And as he was doing that, Ian Lapierre dove in front of the puck and blocked the puck with his face. And there was blood everywhere. I mean, and it doesn't help that the jersey has white on it, and it's white ice. And so as he's leaving the ice, just a trail of blood everywhere. And that's not the first time he had done that, or the last time. Actually, this was not the first time. It was the last time that he ever did that, because doctor said, you can't take one more puck to the face. And so he retired. And after that season, he won the Bill Masterson Award for Excellence and Leadership. Although every hockey player will tell you, who cares about the award? Right, the glory of Ian was in his ugliness. Right, the glory was in a face that was so ugly because he put his teammates above him. He put others above himself and sacrificed them for them. And so his ugliness was his glory. And so I don't mention that this morning to try to convince you to watch hockey. We can have that conversation later. And I'm not trying to convince you to get in, in the way of a hundred ten mile an hour slap shot. Don't do that. But to recognize that the glory of God is everywhere, even in ugliness. In the goodness, for sure, even in the bad, we can see, but even in the ugly, we still see the glory of God. And today we're going to finish John chapter 13, and our sermon is called The Good, the Bad, the Ugly, the Glory. Let me pray for us before we start. Lord God, you are glorious. Uh, I I can't wait for the day where I am with every person in here um, with nothing blocking us from from enjoying your glory and and just being overwhelmed with worship and joy at your glory, Lord. But today, Lord, I'm thankful that we have your word to go through because, quite frankly, um, tomorrow is a Monday again, and we have a case of the Mondays, and everything starts over again, and, and sometimes we need to to find the glory in those moments as well. And I believe it is there, Lord. I believe yours is the glory, Lord. And so let our minds understand that, our hearts and our actions reflect that, Lord. You are awesome, Lord. Um, Just bless our service and enjoy our worship of you, Lord. Amen. All right, so we are going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly this morning. But we're going to do that as text reveals them. Now, it would have been so awesome if the text revealed them in that order, but it doesn't. So we're going to follow the text, though, because that's what we do here, right? So we're going to start with the ugly, the good, the bad. And so, and all those things where we see the glory of Jesus. So let's start by looking at the ugly. Let's read verses 21 and 22. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified... Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And so, to understand the emotion here, church, we have to disregard the fact that we already know that Jesus was betrayed. Like, we already know that. We've seen this movie. We've read this book. The disciples, this is brand new information. This is the most incredible, like, Shock to them. Jesus is going to be betrayed and it's one of us? And so they are in absolute shock. And so it says in Mark 14 19 of this same event, they began, speaking of the disciples, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Is it I, Jesus, who's going to betray you? And so they all look inward. All the disciples look inward, like, oh, God, please don't let it be me. Please don't let me betray you. Because to them, as they looked around the room at all the other disciples, they had no clue that any of them could do something so ugly. And so they questioned themselves, because they know themselves, just like we do. And we know we have an ugly side, so they're just like, Lord, please don't let it be me. So let's continue reading in verses 24 through 28. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. He's talking to John. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread, and when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. And so that, that's a curious, like, last sentence, right? Wait, Jesus just explained everything, and the disciples' response is, we have no idea what's happening. So, so what is happening here? What is the issue? Why are the disciples confused? Well, in this case, it's all a matter of seating, It's all a matter of seating. And so uh, you've probably seen uh, Da Vinci's uh, Last Supper, right? And that may be good art if that's your thing, but it's not accurate art. There was no long table. Jesus was not at the center of of this table. And so this is a U-shaped table. This table is shaped like a U with Jesus being at one corner, second from the last, because he's the host, And so also right there, you have the seat of honor, which is the host honors one of their, their people. And then the person next to them would be somebody who's very close to the host. So those three on the corner are very important. This meant that only two people could hear Jesus if he spoke softly. And so we know one of these was the disciple John, the one who Jesus loved. So John is probably the close, really close friend there. But the other person has to be close enough so that Jesus can dip, right, the bread and hand it to them, which means that's Judas. So in this scene, in this supper, the seat of honor, you know, we think Jesus has the seat of honor in this, but it's actually Judas. Judas is the one being celebrated. He is the one that has the seat of honor here. In fact, even just the, the, the dipping of the bread and handing it to somebody was showing honor. Like, he, even if there was confusion about, well, who's the one being honored here? The one that got the bread? That's showing, like, this This is the person of honor and respect. So with this seating arrangement in mind, what it says here is that Peter is trying to get the attention of John. And we don't know where Peter is, but you can imagine, just from what we know about Peter, You know, Peter's just trying to get his attention, right? Ask him, ask him, ask him who it is. And so Jesus does tell John and and explains the bread and who I give this to. And so even though John knows, he's probably the only one who knows at this point. So when Jesus tells Judas to go, do what you're gonna do quickly, the disciples have no idea what's going on because only John knows at this point. And so what we have here is this ugly ugly scene of betrayal. But where's the glory in that, right? That's what we want to find. Where's the glory in this ugly scene? And to understand that, we need to go back to verses 18 and 19, where Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's key. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus begins by quoting Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verses 9 and 10, as we heard earlier. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. And so this psalm refers to Ahithophel. Don't know if we're pronouncing that right. So Ahithophel, right, he betrays David. Right? Absolutely horrible story, ugly story. He betrays David and feels so guilty that he hangs himself. And so Jesus says in his response, if they are really listening to what is happening, he's telling them what is happening by quoting the psalm. I just got betrayed and this guy is going to go hang himself. Now by doing this, he is also showing that he is God. He is showing that he inspired these words of David and that these words point to Jesus hundreds of years later. Only God could do that. Like imagine that that, that God that Jesus used this situation and said David Portray this situation like this, because I'm gonna borrow this later on to point back to this, to point to the disciples, to tell them that I am God. Like I, I, I have control over all of this. And so he does this so that when everything goes down, the disciples, their faith wouldn't be shaken. Because how shaken would their faith be if all of a sudden it's like this wasn't part of the plan? Now Jesus is betrayed, he's being murdered, all this stuff. But Jesus says, no, I'm telling you now so that you know that I'm God. So when you see this ugly thing take place, I will get the glory from it. Because I'm telling you ahead of time exactly what's going to happen. None of it's an accident. It's all according to my glorious plan. And so when they are, are, are strengthened, they would understand that Jesus is he. right? Jesus says, that they, they would understand that he is. And the better translation is, it's not even he is, it's that they would understand I am, I am. That, that's an actual translation. Like when this happens, there's going to be no doubt, as ugly as this is, this is going to be the moment where you guys figure it out. I am absolutely God. Everything that happened was because I am God, and this was for my glory. In fact, with this in mind, when Judas leaves, In verses 31 and 32, it says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glory Him at once. So, uh, five times glory in, in two verses. Five times the word glory is used in this horrific situation, this ugly situation. The intent of the ugliness was glory, 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 glory. Even the betrayal, the trials, the beatings, the mockings, the blood, the death, glory. In the ugliest moment in history, the cross, glory, holiness, love, mercy, righteousness, sovereignty, Glory in the ugly, right? As it says in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. Buried, those stripes are ugly flesh opening stripes across his back and blood squirting out gore. Gore that is glorious, even in its ugliness. And we can find strength in that ugliness, strength in the ugly. The ugliness of this betrayal should encourage us This should give us great strength. God can use whatever you are going through for his glory. This means if we look around the world and there's a lot of ugliness, right? Violence, racism, murder, the murder of babies, sexual sin, COVID. We don't break, we are not discouraged, we are encouraged. Right? We, we look around, no matter what comes across our news screen, we are encouraged because God is in control and all things are happening for His glory. In fact, we will see in John 16, 33 in a few weeks, it says, I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world." And so the ugliness of the world should not shock us, right? There shouldn't be a time when we're like, oh, things are so bad, they're they're getting worse. That, That should, yes, Jesus already said that. Like Jesus said, be encouraged. I'm already telling you it's bad. It's ugly. So what? Like, I've overcome that. I've seen the end. I did all this. You now have peace in me if you want it. Well, all this is happening, This is why Charles Spurgeon famously declared, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And so no matter what ugliness is in your life, we should should embrace that. We should find the glory in it, the glory that, that points us to Jesus. If something bad is happening and it draws you to Jesus, that's glorious. And so we have to think about those things in that light. And even look at the ugly situations and ask, how, where, where's the glory in this? In fact, we see this truth again immediately in verse 33. Where Jesus speaking says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so, the ugliness becomes worse. The ugliness becomes worse here. Not only is one of them going to betray them, but now Jesus is leaving them, right? The one who called them is leaving them. The one who they are following and have followed for years says, you guys can't follow anymore. So again, put yourself in their emotions. All this is within minutes. Jesus is going to be betrayed. It's going to be one of us. Jesus is leaving and we can't follow him. So where is the glory in this? What is good about this? And I think there's something very good about this. So let's look at the good in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there are two parts to this good that come from this ugly, heartbreaking situation. And they're in this new commandment to love one another. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're probably saying, dude, like it already says that in the Old Testament, right? To love one another, to love your neighbor. Yes, but also no. This is a new commandment. So what's so new about this commandment? Well, the example and the aim. First, we have a new example in Jesus Christ. And so this isn't just love your neighbor. It's not general. It's not vague, open for interpretation. It is to be done in the greatest example of love of all time, Jesus Christ. Like this is a new commandment. Love your neighbor versus love someone like Jesus Christ is an entirely new commandment. Entirely new example. This means loving by serving humbly and sacrificially. The aim here is now one another. The aim is one another. And so this is not a license to now be a horrible neighbor. No, love your neighbor, be an awesome neighbor. But you are to love one another like Jesus loves you. And so this aim, I think we miss this sometimes. Yes, love your neighbor. But the love in here should be way better. Way more awesome than the way you love your neighbor. It should be so crazy awesome that when people see it, they recognize what's up with these people. Look at the way they love each other. And so what happens here is this example and this aim create a new community. And this community is the church. And so what we find here is Jesus basically establishing the church. This is that moment. And so... Yes, the ugliness, the sadness of it is, is that Jesus is leaving them. But Jesus is not leaving them alone. Jesus is leaving them with each other. Jesus is not leaving them alone. He is leaving them with each other so that they can function as him to each other, to love each other as Jesus has loved them. And this will be to his glory his glory. And people will know the God you serve if you treat others like Jesus has treated us. We get the family, so thankful for this family, and God gets the glory out of this. Every time we meet, God is being glorified by you group of people in Bakersfield that meet to enjoy him and worship him. So the way we treat each other is a sermon that we preach. The way we treat each other is a message that we communicate to the world about what we believe. And if we believe what we believe, then we love one another. Arkansas Hughes summarized this message by saying It was as a band of brothers and sisters that the church conquered the world. It was a glorious band of brothers and sisters that sailed the oceans and marched the continents to both dungeon and throne with the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons they succeeded is that mankind severed from one another, longing to come together, witnessed real love among followers of Christ. And so that love for one another is the mark of a follower. That's what marks us. If you're not sure if you're a Christian this morning, or if you're not sure if somebody else is a Christian, this is the go-to. What do you think of the church? Do you, do you not come to church? Right? You know, what do you think about people at church? Are you as excited as I am to see you guys? Do you love one another? Because that is the mark of a follower. And this could be a difficult, a difficult commandment and mark as relationships in church can be messy. Yet in Colossians 3.13, we read, "...bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." And so, yes, we live a life, conflict, strain in relationships everywhere, work, school. You're going to find, even at church, strain and stress in relationships. But it has to be different here. We should treat one another like Jesus treated us. You notice how the disciples mess up continuously? And I know you're thinking, Peter, yes, Peter, always saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. How does he treat them? Does he stop showing up? Does he excommunicate them? Does he treat them badly? No, right? Grace and glory, you know, towards them. Love towards them. Francis Schaeffer said about this new commandment, it is the mark of the Christian. The love of one another is the mark of a Christian. People will recognize it. People will recognize us by that mark. And it's so interesting when we think about marks in the Bible. What do we think about? Mark of the beast, right? You're talking about marks in the Bible. Oh, the mark of the beast. Well, what is the mark of the beast? Well, it's on your head and on your hand, which means the mark of, of the people of the world who follow the system of the world, you know, you know what they're thinking, you know who they serve, and you know by their actions, like who they serve and what they do. And so, in a sense, the church functions as the anti-antichrist, the anti-antichrist, because the world will know by our mark, by what? People know who we love, right? People know who we serve, and with our minds and with our hands, people will know these people are different. And so by, by loving one another, it points to reality outside of the beast and the system of this world, the system where we love one another, and we will take a puck to the face from one another if we have to. Because our, our, our family and our love of Jesus is so much greater than our love for the world or its systems. Now, as great as that sounds, this passage still ends on a bad yet glorious note. And so the bad, verses 36 through 38, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me afterward. And Peter, classic Peter, he says, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so Peter is pushing back against Jesus. And it's hard to read. It's cringy. That's what we'll call it these days. It's cringy. You want Peter to just stop. You want to shake Peter and just say, please, just listen to Jesus this time. You don't have to fight with Jesus. Peter, we've seen, is the only apostle who who finds it necessary to rebuke and reprove Jesus consistently. And so we just want to tell Peter, no, stop, just listen. And he says he will die for Jesus. And so Jesus' response to Peter, well, first, his first response um, was, hey, look, you can't come now. Can't follow now. Hey, but later you'll follow. Perfectly reasonable, honest, reassuring answer. Okay, oh, so we'll get together later. All right, cool. Jesus, you know, he, his words are perfect. They're gold. I can trust that. Not Peter. Because he continues pressing Jesus, makes Jesus say, look, look, you who would die for me tonight, you're actually going to deny me tonight. And so it goes from bad to worse. So Judas betraying Jesus, Peter's going to deny Jesus by mourning. And in Matthew 26, 31, we read, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Every one of the disciples will fail and fall. Every one of them will fail and fall within hours. Where is the glory in that? The glory is in the fact that they come back. It's the fact that they come back. Remember Jesus said in chapter 6, he's not going to lose any of the sheep, right? He's like, yeah, Father gave me the sheep. I'm not going to lose any of them. I'm going to raise them on the last day. And so he will save the sheep, even if they are scattered. They're not lost, right? Scattered does not mean lost. And so I think this is important to understand that before um well, Jesus gives this new commandment to love one another before all this happens. He tells them love one another, he's establishing the church with them, this new community, knowing exactly within hours they are all gonna fail. They are all going to fall. And he still gives that command to them. Because he knows he's gonna bring them back and use them. That scattered doesn't mean lost. Who needs to hear that this morning, right? That scattered doesn't mean lost. We are all going to stumble at some point. Fail, fall away, stay away at some point. But if you belong to Jesus, you are not lost. You will come back because there's only one voice that can call you out from everything else, and that's, that's the voice of your shepherd Jesus. This means if you stumble or retreat, or scatter. And maybe in your case, it was perfectly reasonable. Maybe you were at a church and, and you were abused at some point, and so you left, you scattered. Good for you. You, don't, you shouldn't be abused. Good for you that, 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 that you left and that you scattered. But you also know deep down that you belong to Jesus. And there is nothing better than Jesus. And if you are called, you can't outrun that call. You have to come back. Even though church can be messy and ugly, you have to come back, right? Because you know that you were called to love one another, that this is your family. Even in those bad moments, right, the glory will still be to Jesus because he's going to call you back and it's not going to make sense. It doesn't make sense to the world when people are hurt by the church and they go back, Like, right? it's about Jesus, Of course they come back. There's nothing else. Once you are called by Jesus and know who Jesus is, there's nothing in life that's going to satisfy you. You can't distract yourself enough. You can't have a cool enough hobby or run far enough away. You have to come back. There's nothing like the family of God. So to close, I just want to encourage us in Christ that if Jesus can use the worst, ugliest plan ever, to kill the God who created us, he can certainly use whatever's going on in your life for his glory. He can use your good, bad, and ugly days and seasons for his glory. If you are in a good season, great, give glory to God. Praise God for your good season. Don't waste a great opportunity to be thankful and praise God in that good season. But if you're going through a difficult season or an ugly season then we need to go back to verse 3 which sets all this in motion Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and so this this verse precedes the feet washing the conversations with Peter precedes the commandment everything it says before any of this takes place Jesus says all this is in my hands everything that is about to happen is in my hands which means if you have anxiety this morning over work, school, life, whatever it may be, if you have financial issues, you're depressed, betrayed, rejected, um, dealing with health issues, having a difficult time in relationships, frustrated because your, your kids are frustrating you, um, young people, your parents are frustrating you, Whatever is happening, maybe, if, maybe it's difficulty understanding a doctrine of the faith. All things are in his hands. All things are in his hands. Do you believe that? Because it changes everything. It changes everything. Or when things happen, when the ugly comes, do you scatter or isolate? Because that's the human response. Something bad happens. Church is great, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to isolate myself or I didn't like uh, what Pastor James said, or somebody in church said to me, so I'm going to scatter. Come back. Come back. Love us the, the way Jesus has loved you. Forgive us and come back. We need you to come back. Here's the reality. Whatever you were going through, Jesus already took your worst moment. Jesus took your worst moment. He took it like a puck to the face. And he hung and died bleeding from a cross for you. That was your moment that he took. And he did that to be your hero. And he did that to be your savior. So no matter where you are, good, bad, or ugly, it is all in Jesus' hands, and it is all to Jesus' glory. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.